Well, uh, if you haven't been with us uh, for the past several weeks, we've been a ser- in a series called How to Neighbor. And what we're doing is we're thinking about this question, what does it look like for us as a church community to love our friends and neighbors around us, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? And the reason why we're doing this is because we want to be a church that is not only uh, located in Batesville, I know I say this every week, not only that we're located in Batesville, but we actually exist for the city of Batesville. And somebody once said that the church is the only institution that exists for the good of those not yet members. And so we're asking the question, how do we be a church that doesn't exist for ourselves, but for the good of those who are not yet members? How do we become outwardly focused? How could we care about others in our community? How can we make a difference? And so uh, we're using this idea of neighboring to get at that question. And we've looked at a lot of different things. We looked, about, looked at showing hospitality. Uh, We looked at loving one another, and uh, last week Lucas talked about uh, sharing the gospel. One of the ways that we we love our neighbors is in in our words, in sharing the good news, sharing the good news of the gospel, sharing the message of the gospel, uh, reaching out in word. Now this morning I'm going to talk about something different. I'm going to talk about reaching out in deed. Reaching out indeed. And so we as Christians, we're supposed to love our neighbors not only by, by speaking words, but also by showing deeds of mercy and compassion. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is, is simply this idea of loving our neighbors through doing deeds of mercy and compassion. And I want to begin, uh, you know, I love last week how Lucas said that he struggled with evangelism And, uh, you know, something, you know, speaking words, speaking the gospel is kind of hard for him. And so I want to begin this morning by just kind of sharing with you that that mercy ministry, uh, doing deeds of mercy and kindness, is actually kind of hard for me. Um, This is an area that I always find myself struggling with. Uh, You know, I'm a word guy. Uh, You know, I, I preach. This is my profession. I love books. I love studying. I love theology. You know, I could spend hours arguing with Christian and Lucas about theology, you know, if you gave me a choice and, and you said, Brent, would you like to, to go and work on a, a homeless shelter for the day or would you like to go sit in the library and study books for the day? Put me in the library behind a huge stack of books. I mean, this is what I'm all about. I'm a word guy. I like arguments. I like theology. I love to study. And I found that in my life, you know, uh, as I look back at my life as a whole, there's not very much in the way of deed ministry. There's not a lot of mercy in my life. Not a lot of deeds of compassion. You know, and I realized this a few months ago. And so I went to uh, one of the Habitat for Humanity builds. And uh, some of you may have been there where they're, they, you know, they're building a house in, in, in a certain area of the city. And so I went down there to help, you know, and I thought, well, maybe they're going to have me, uh, you know, nail some wood together or, or do something with my hands. And, and the woman looked at me, and she knew I wasn't good at this. She knew I was a word guy. And so she said, you know what, why don't you go pick up rocks? And so I went over there. I don't feel so bad because Scott Rullier was told to do the same thing. Some of you guys know him. And so there we were for three hours picking up rocks. You know, and, and this is just not something that I'm great at. But it's so very important because when you look at the early church, one of the reasons why the early church was so effective is because it went into the world, world both in word and in deed. When the early Christians went into their world in the first century in in Rome, they went out not only speaking the gospel with words, but they also went out with deeds of mercy and compassion. And frankly, this is one of the reasons why it it exploded. 
You know, there were, there were plagues in the, in the first century, and, and uh, you know, it would go in and wipe out up to a third of a city. And in, those day and age, in that day and age, you know, mercy was not a huge uh, priority for many people. And so people were just kicking their loved ones out on the street if they were ill. They didn't want to get sick themselves. So people were dying in the street, and people were fleeing the cities. And it was the early Christians that went into the cities and risked their own lives caring for the poor. You know, Christians developed the first hospitals. Uh, Christians were, uh, you know, they were, they were big on this idea of mercy and compassion. And one of the reasons is, is because when you look at the New Testament, this is something that we're told to do over and over again. One example, 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in talk, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this is something we were, were told to do in the New Testament, and it's something that the early Christians did in abundance. And they did it in such abundance that there's uh, actually an emperor, Emperor Julian, who was, uh, he was against the early Christians. Uh, he wanted to stem the tide of the early Christian movement. movement. He's always trying to promote pagan religion. And at one point, he wonders, why are the Christians so successful? I'm trying to stop this movement. Why are the Christians doing so well? And at one point, he says this. Their success lies in their charity to all. The impious Galileans, is what he called Christians, the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. So the Christians reached out in word and in deed. And so here's the question I want to ask this morning. How could we be a people that goes into the city of Batesville, into our neighbors, uh, neighborhoods, into our workplaces, doing deeds of mercy and compassion. I mean, how can we do this? And I don't know about you, but for me, you know, I want to do this. And I, I know probably a lot of you want to do it too. I mean, this is something that I would love to see happen in my life, but there's, there's somehow there's a breakdown, you know, between what I know I should do and what I even want to do and the actual doing of it. Right? You look at my average week, where is the breakdown? I know what to do, and yet week by week, you know, day by day goes by, and there's just not a lot of deeds of compassion. Where does the breakdown happen? And how can we become people of mercy and compassion? And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at it through uh, this, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is just a famous uh, uh, story that Jesus told. Many of us have heard this story Many of us are very familiar with the story, but it kind of gets, gets at the idea of where is the breakdown? Where is the breakdown between knowing and doing mercy? And how can we bridge that gap? That's what this parable is getting at. And so let's just begin by looking at the context here. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so it begins with a lawyer, uh, and, a, and a lawyer is essentially uh, a Bible scholar. In this day and age, a lawyer was a Bible scholar, somebody who was a word guy. He loved to study. He spent his whole life studying. He, he knew the law backwards and forwards, and he comes to Jesus, and he wants to test him. Are you a good rabbi? Can we trust you? Do you know your stuff, Jesus? This is what he's getting at. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a great question. I mean, it's probably the most important question you could ask. I mean, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Where is life? Uh, where is eternal life uh, found? A really good question, but it's also a test, it says. He wants to trap Jesus. 
He's, a, he's suspicious of him. And so verse 26, and he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so Jesus responds to this man's question with a question. And, uh, you know, there's this famous uh, Jewish philosopher named Elie Wiesel. And someone asked him, uh, they, they said, why do you Jews always answer a question with a question? To which Elie Wiesel responded, why not? <laughs> and so Jesus responds to this man's question with a question. And the man answers really well. I mean, he really knows his stuff. He's no slouch. Verse 27 and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Right? So he gives this great answer. And look what Jesus says. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And the man could have gone away there. He would have answered, well, do this and live. He kind of knows the, the essence of the law, but then the man can't stop there. He goes on and he says this, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, pay attention to that word. He wants to justify himself. Maybe he realizes that he hasn't been doing this very well. And so he wants to, he wants to justify himself. He wants to clear himself. He wants to make himself, uh, you know, feel better that he's actually doing okay. He wants to justify himself and he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, in the ancient world, uh, Jews had sort of classifications of neighbors. There were pious Jews, and some Jews thought you only had to, to love those people. And then there was the average Jew, and, and there was another group that said you have to love both the pious and the average. And then there was the Jew that was kind of unclean. And uh, there were some that said that you didn't have to really love them at all. And so he wants to excuse himself, and he says, well, who am I supposed to really love? Who is my neighbor, he says to Jesus. And this is where Jesus gets into this parable. And he tells this man a story about loving his neighbor. He tells the man a story about showing mercy and compassion. And in the story, I want us to see two things. I want us to see, number one, the breakdown of mercy, how mercy breaks down in our lives. And then second, well, second of all, I want to see the triumph of mercy. Two points. And some of you thought I could only do three points. But as we go on, you'll actually see there's, there's, there's really seven points. <laughs> so, but we're going to look at these two things, the breakdown of mercy and then the triumph of mercy. So let's look at the first thing, the breakdown of mercy, verse 29. A man was going down to, Jer to Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and, de and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he got to the place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. And we'll stop there. And so this is the breakdown of mercy. So here's this man, and he's on the way, he's on a road from, Jer from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. And what we know is, uh, is, is that this was a very dangerous road. It was a high altitude there from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and so there were uh, crevices and ravines and, and caves, and it was a very dangerous journey, this road to Jericho. And uh, because it was so dangerous and because there were so many crevices and caves, bandits would hide out along the road. And, and it, as people would, would walk by unsuspecting, these bandits would come and they would rob people. They would uh, strip people naked, naked and take their stuff. This is a very dangerous place to be. And so here's a man, uh, sure enough, he, he goes down this road and he gets robbed. 
Uh, this is a, probably a very common thing. It probably happened all the time. But notice he's laying there half dead, but then it says in verse 31, now as chance would have it, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he had come to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. And so here are two men that pass by this, this, uh, this man who's bleeding and, and uh, naked on the side of the road, a priest and a Levite. And here's what you have to know about them. These are both men that were part of the Jewish elite. They were a very religious man. You know, a priest was involved in serving the temple. A Levite was somebody who was in the, the upper levels of leadership in, the, in, in, uh, the, in Israel, in the church of, in Israel, the religion of Israel. And so they would have known their Bible. They would have known that scripture in Micah that said, I desire, here's what I desire of you, to do justly and to love what? To love mercy, some of you know it, and to walk humbly with your God. They would have known that scripture. They would have known to show this man mercy, but there's a breakdown. They look at him, and it says, when they saw him, they went to the other side of the road, and they passed by on the other side. And the question that the story's begging us to ask is, why did they do this? Why the breakdown? What was going on? And I think the key lies in the phrase, justify himself. This is what the man was doing, justifying himself. I think what they did is they saw the man they knew what was right, but as soon as they saw him, they began to justify themselves. Why don't I have to show mercy? I know that I should. I know that it's important. But there are reasons why I don't have to do it in this instance. They began to reason. Self-talk. Self-justification. Why don't I have to show mercy to this man? And all commentators uh, sort of theorize as to why uh, they felt they didn't have to. And so some say that... Um, uh, you know, in the ancient world, dead bodies were unclean. And so uh, this man was right on the verge of death. And so maybe the priest looked at him and thought, well, if I go and help him, I'm going to risk becoming unclean. Uh, I can't do that. I'm on my way to the temple. I've got to serve in the temple. I can't risk becoming unclean. I'm excused from that. Self-justification, he passes right on by. Uh, some people say that when they looked at this man, maybe they were afraid. As we said, this is a dangerous journey, right? This road to Jericho. And the bandits are probably nearby. And so if they stopped to help this man, chances are they're going to be in danger too. And so maybe they thought, well, I've got a wife. I've got children at home. I can't put my own life in jeopardy. And so they looked at the man. They began to talk themselves out of mercy, and they walked on by. You know, maybe they looked at him and they just, there was a practical thing that went on in their mind. They looked at him and they thought, you know, somebody ought to show this man mercy, but it's not me. I mean, doesn't he have family? Doesn't he have, a, you know, people in his life who can do this? What about DHS? Uh, you know, what about social services? You know, uh, this, is, this is not my responsibility. I'm a priest, after all. I'm a Levite. And maybe they use that to talk themselves out of it. But whatever it was, these men, these pre, the priest and Levi saw the man they began to justify themselves and give themselves reasons why they didn't need to help. And I want to suggest that this happens in our lives all the time. You see a need, and you see someone who needs help, whatever it might be. There's something in your brain that starts to reason yourself out of showing mercy. You know, uh, I, I'm from Los Angeles, and in Los Angeles, there was always homeless people on the side of the freeway, off-ramps, asking for money. And some of you, anybody see, get in contact with some of those 
not in Los Angeles, but maybe around here, but, uh, you know, you, you drive up, and you're waiting in line, and you're seeing this person, and what do you begin to do as you're waiting there in those uncomfortable five minutes? You begin to talk to yourself and give yourself reasons why you shouldn't give the person money. You know, he's probably not going to spend it well. You know, I don't really have a lot of money. You know, everything I do is on credit. I don't have a lot of time. You start to reason yourself out of showing mercy. And listen, there's always good reasons. And I'm not saying we ought to give money to every homeless person that we see on the street. There's always good reasons. But there's always good reasons. And if you listen to yourself long enough, you will talk yourself out of showing mercy again and again and again. And this is why in my life, when I look back, there's just not a lot of mercy there. You know, on, on Facebook, there's these great little, uh, you know, in the age of social media, people have videos, you know, and, and there was a show, I forget what it was called, but they would, uh, they would put somebody, uh, an actor or somebody, in a place of need. Like maybe the actor would pretend to be homeless or pretend to be, you know, uh, hurt or something like that. And they would put a video camera on the actor and they would watch people on the street just walk on by. And then afterwards, they would go up and they would ask the person, why did you walk by? And I thought, I always think like, I hope nobody ever does that to me because they would see way too much of that. But they'd always ask, why did you just walk by? I mean, uh, you saw him, he was there, he needed help. Why did you walk by? Every single person had a good reason. Every person could, they became litigators, and they could, they could give reasons why they didn't show mercy. And you can always argue, argue yourself out of showing mercy. And this is where the breakdown happens. You know, we, we know that we should, we maybe even want to, but there's always a reason, you know? You know, I think about my own life, and, and, you know, I've always told my wife, you know, we would love to have our neighbors over for dinner. You know, and maybe this, our, our, you know, the, the uh, uh, single dad across the street, we should have him over for a barbecue, but every single week is a bad week. It's always a bad week. I'm always busy. I'm always go doing things here and there, and I'm always able to talk myself out of showing mercy. And if we're not careful, we'll we will talk ourselves out of it again and again and again and again. And sometimes there are good reasons. But sometimes these are just excuses. And so here are these men. They, they should have known better. And they walk right by, and it's such a tragedy. I mean, remember, God is a God of mercy, and this is what makes the church so compelling in the world. And so do you see the tragedy that it is that they walk on by and they don't show mercy? And this is the breakdown. But let's turn the corner here, and let's see. Jesus is going to talk about the triumph of mercy because there's one man that does show mercy here. Uh, not, not all the people who saw this poor man on the side of the road walked on by. There's one man who showed mercy, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the, he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so here's this, here's this man. And Jesus, uh, he shows him, and he begins by saying, But a Samaritan. 
Now, this is really significant, significant because the Samaritan in the ancient world was hated by the Jews. This is a twist in the story. He's talking to a Jew, and none of the Jews helped this man, but a Samaritan comes by, and the Samaritan is the one who helps. Uh, the, the Jews and Samaritans, they were part of a 700-year hate fest. Uh, back in, in the time of exile, uh, the, the Jews were brought into Babylon, and some of the Jews intermarried with the pagans. And because of that, they became mixed in their race, and they became mixed in their religion. And so every single Jew would have despised the Samaritans. They would have looked at them as unclean people with offensive beliefs. And the Samaritans returned the favor. They hated the Jews. These were sworn enemies, like a Razorback fan and a Longhorns fan, right? Or a jock or a surfer. Or a geek and I don't know what else. I mean, <laughs> these, are, these are sworn enemies. And so here the Samaritans comes by and he sees this Jew on the side of the road. Now here's what I want you to see. If anybody had a reason not to help, it would have been the Samaritan. If anybody could have justified themselves out of showing mercy, it would have been him. In fact, he would have been justified if he went over and stepped on the man's face and spit on him and kept on going. I mean, this was something that would have been normal for him. It's something that he could have done and not felt bad about at all, at least in his own culture. If anybody had a reason not to help, it was him, but he does help. And he helps in a huge way. Uh, the Samaritan, he, what does he do? He risks his own life. He, he stops there on the road to Jericho, and, and there could be bandits nearby, but he takes the time to lift the guy up, and he puts him on his own donkey. So he has to walk the rest of the way, and here's this Jewish sworn enemy lying on his own donkey. And then he takes him to this inn, and, and he shows some wisdom and some shrewdness as a businessman here. And he, he doesn't give the, the innkeeper all the money up front. He gives him a little bit, and he says, take care, take care of him for one night, and then I'll come back later and give you the rest of the money. And then he does, doesn't only just do a, a, you know, emergency relief, he does follow-up. He goes back, and he, and he cares for the man's womb. I mean, this Samaritan helps out in a huge way. He shows incredible mercy. And Jesus ends the parable by saying this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the Jews said, the one who showed mercy. Notice he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says, well, just the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus said, you go and do likewise. And so here's the call of Jesus. Be like the Samaritan. There are people in your lives every single day that need mercy. And we are called to word ministry and deed ministry. Go and be compassionate. I want to pull out here, and I want to give us three little endpoints. I told you the three were in there. How can we be like the Samaritan? I mean, the, the, the text doesn't really give us his reasoning. The text doesn't tell us why he stopped. I mean, why would he do something like this? We don't really know, but I want to take some, I want to read between the lines and give us three reasons why this man stopped. And if we will take these to heart, I think they'll help us to be people of mercy. Number one, he showed mercy because he understood, he was sensitive to human need. 
We will show mercy when we're sensitive to human needs. It was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. who uh, he, wrote, he preached a sermon on this text. And uh, here's what he said at one point. He says, the first question the scribes and the Levites asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The Good Samaritan reversed the question and asked, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And so the first question is, are we sensitive to human needs? When we look at people all around us, are are we even paying attention to the hurts and the wounds and the suffering and the brokenness? You know, so many of us, we're so consumed with our own lives, even our own religious lives, that we don't stop and pay attention to the actual human needs. And in some ways, the Samaritan is getting in touch with the heart of God. You know, the Bible says in the Old Testament that when God looks at hurting people, He says he looks at hurting people like a father looks at his child. When God looks down on the human beings made in his image and he sees their suffering and their needs, it breaks God's heart. And I was thinking about this, you know, when I was, uh, you know, we were just ministering to the Kemp's, you know, whose little baby was in the hospital in the the, uh, ICU for several uh, days. And I was thinking about my own child. When, When Samuel was first born, he was in the ICU for about a week and a half. And I remember looking at my little son. He was about three weeks old at the time. He was tiny, so tiny. And he was hooked up to all of these tubes. You know, he had a vent. He had, you know, you know those little electro wires on, what are they called? I don't know what they are, but they're on his chest. And this little tiny baby in this huge bed, and it broke my heart. And God says, when I see human needs, it breaks my heart. And God looks at us and says, when you see human needs, do you see them the way I do? Will you open up your eyes? Will you be sensitive to the needs that are all around you? So that's the first thing he did, is he was sensitive to this man's need. He didn't look at him as a Jew or rich or poor or a different race or unclean or anything. He looked at him and says, all I see is the need, and I've got to help. It broke his heart. But second of all, he was not only sensitive to this man's need, he was also aware of his own need. And this is so important. If we're going to be compassionate, if we're going to go out and show deeds of mercy, it starts with becoming aware of your own neediness. Uh, Brene Brown, who's a, she's a researcher, she said this quote. I love this quote, um, and you just have to listen to it. I don't think it's going to come up on the screen, but she said, we've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help. The truth is, we are both. Be- being a compassionate and person who shows mercy, who's motivated to go out and help people in need, begins with an awareness of your own need. And you know what's so interesting is when you're aware of your own needs, you can empathize with others. You know, I'm I'm introverted, and I'm aware of that need, and so whenever I walk into the room, I could tell other people that are introverted, like Lucas. And I kind of feel like I want to go talk to them. And all of you have very specific needs. You have areas of woundedness, areas of brokenness, and maybe those very areas are the areas that God wants you to show mercy in. You know, maybe you uh, struggle with social anxiety, but maybe it's physical illness, 
And maybe you need to be in the hospital. Or, or maybe it's, you know, uh, a financial uh, woundedness and, and you've had to work your way out of debt and maybe that's where you need to show compassion. You see, when we're, when we're wounded and we're aware of our own brokenness and our own need, we're able to reach out better. And there's nothing worse than somebody who comes and tries to meet a need out of arrogant smugness. You know, I mean, there's, there's a story, my brother told me this story. In, in his city, there was a church that they wanted to, to help the poor in their city. And so what they did is they all had these t-shirts made. And on the t-shirts it said, serving the lowly, the least, and the lost. And so they went to the soup kitchen. They all went there and they were fixing the food and they let all the poor people in and they turned around with their t-shirts that said, lowly, least, and lost. This is you. Right? It was, there's this, this arrogance, this sort of, you know, reaching down instead of just reaching out. But if you're aware of your own need and your own brokenness, all of us are broken in areas. All of us are wounded. In fact, this, isn't this the gospel? The gospel says that in order to walk into the door of Christianity, the first thing you need to do is admit your need. You have to admit, your, you admit that you're wounded. And so in some ways, the more your heart is broken by the gospel and your own need, the easier it is for you to show compassion. So he was aware of, his, of this man's need, and maybe it came out of his, his awareness of his own need. You know, the thing that these two men had in common is that they were both unclean. He says, you're unclean, I'm unclean. I know what that's like, let me help you. But then finally, he was aware of the situation. He was aware of the opportunity. I love this little word here in the passage it says that as the man lie there half dead, it says, verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down the road. And maybe Jesus put this in there deliberately, almost like, oh, this was just by chance. Listen, nothing happens by chance. This was an opportunity. And the priest didn't see the opportunity. The Levite didn't see the opportunity. But the Samaritan looked and said, here is my opportunity. He's unclean, I'm unclean. He's there on the road, and here I am going down the road. What are the chances I've got to help? And listen, I want to just close off our series by, by just throwing this in front of you. Where are the opportunities in your life to show mercy? They are all around you. We live on the Jericho Road. We're in, in a broken world, and there is suffering, and there is poverty, and there's loneliness, and there's illness, and there's everything all around us. And Jesus says, well, you see these as opportunities to show mercy. Will you reach out not only in word, but also in deed? And maybe they're on your block, and maybe they're in your workplace. But there are needs all around you, and God wants you to reach out. He's built you to reach out, and he wants us to make a difference through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this passage and such a powerful story about, uh, here's this uh, Samaritan man. He had every reason not to help, and yet there was this, this logic uh, in, it, in his heart, in his mind. I pray that you'd help us, God, to not only... Be people that know that, uh, you know, caring for needs is important, but help us, Lord, to bridge that gap of knowing and doing. Lord, uh, we thank you that we're not saved by, be by doing good deeds. God, there's no way that we earn our way into your love. There's the only 
requirement for the gospel is need. And yet our need for you should help us become aware of the needs that others have. So help us to be merciful and compassionate. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.